Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Dennis is going to come and read uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so uh, just a couple of questions as we're hearing the passage. If, If you're a a writer and you like to kind of jot down thoughts, maybe if you have your Bible with you, just some questions or some ideas, like what, what things are kind of ju- jumping out to you this morning? And so uh, this is great because I just told Dennis this like three, four seconds ago, 10 seconds ago. Um, you don't have to read that part, but you can read the rest. <laughs> so we're going to be reading in Luke's gospel right towards the very end, chapter 24. So this is a great story. Looks like we're going to have video help. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is me, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. And see as you are seeing. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name and to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thanks be to God for this powerful word. And may it unfold to us as we go through this morning. Thank you, Dennis. And so we, we are on a we're on a, a collision course right now with Pentecost. And I get excited about Pentecost because that's the day that it's the church's birthday. I mean, we do Pentecost right if that's such a thing. We do it right in Renew. And I love the way that we're going to be spending time that week leading up, not just in Pentecost, but from Ascension to Pentecost, 
thinking through what it means to invite the Holy Spirit into our everyday life. But as we move towards Pentecost, we come across this powerful story. Uh, Jesus is going around scaring the crap out of people. Um, He's a menace, and he loves to surprise his scared, often worried disciples. But I think that sometimes that's the best way to get the attention of skeptics, the scared, and the shamed, because we have to be met with an element of surprise. Uh, A great uh, theologian um, from England has a book titled Surprised by Hope, and I think that really sums up the idea of what it means in these post-resurrection stories that we see. People are met, and they are surprised. And so I would like to say that uh, I think it's accurate that disciples are feeling skeptical, afraid, and ashamed as they enter into this, as we had come to this story in the house before Jesus shows up. And so, my friends, we live and move and we have our being in an age of skepticism. Skepticism breeds anxiety, isolation, and fear. Has anyone ever experienced things or know anyone that's experienced anxiety, isolation, and fear? Can I get an amen? A few, maybe you've heard of stories. Some of us, even this morning, are in this space and we feel the weight of anxiety, isolation, and fear. And maybe we should be skeptical. And as Christians, I think we should be skeptical of anything, any kind of political promise or machine that promises the kingdom of heaven without a king. We should be skeptical of that. And maybe we should be anxious because zombie apocalypse is right around the corner because there are zombie raccoons in Chicago. Right now, in Chicago, there are zombie raccoons. It was on the news, and it's not fake. So we need to be making sure we pay attention to that plague coming this direction. And my friends, we should isolate because we can't trust anybody. Many of us feel isolated because we feel like we can't trust anyone. Because we feel like whatever's happened in our life has been so scarring that people can't actually love us for what, who we are and for what's going on. And so it's amazing, though, even in the midst of all of this, we have all the connection that we need in the comfort of our own homes, but yet anxiety, fear, and isolation and skepticism run rampant. But then we come to this story. And Jesus' greeting this morning and in, to these disciples who are skeptical, scared, ashamed, is peace be with you. And it's also an invitation. He doesn't just greet us, but he invites us to touch me and see me. There is nothing that destroys skepticism, fear, anxiety, isolation, like touch and see, and and vision. When you see something, when you touch something and it's physical, things just begin to to, to shut down. Any of you ever seen the movie Inside Out? It's a Pixar movie. I watched it with my daughter. I can't remember. She was probably six or seven years old, and I bawled through the entire end of the film, which is usually that's what happens when I watch a Pixar film. Um, I'm not afraid of those tears. Bring them on. But what's so good 
is the end of this movie, you know, if you haven't seen the story, I, I probably won't ruin it, but, but this girl is really wrestling with all of these emotions and what they do. And we, we can't put all of our weight into emotions, but emotions are kind of like check engine lights. When we notice an emotion pop up, we need to recognize that's probably teaching us something that's happening on the internal space. And so the story is fascinating because at the end, she's mad and she runs away from home and she comes back and she finally, for the first time in her life, recognizes that sadness plays a role in her health and wholeness as a person, and she just breaks down and cries. And then this, this, new, like, this new emotion kind of comes out where, sad, where joy is not always this presence of no sadness, but somehow it's this mix of sadness and joy. If you haven't seen it, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's not that great outside today, so go home, watch it, uh, or maybe watch it tonight or the next day it rains, which is probably tomorrow. So, uh, but it's definitely, definitely worth it. But I appreciate the way that that's, that, that that story is because there's something about in that moment when she just collapses into, the, into her, the, her arms, arms of her parents, just something happens. There is power of touch. Uh, in November 2015, Fast Company interviewed, uh, interviewed Mark Zuckerberg, and uh, he was talking about artificial intelligence and Facebook and all kinds of stuff, what he normally talks about. And this is what he said, one of our goals in the next five to 10 years is to basically get better than human level at all the primary human senses, vision, hearing, language, general cognition, Zuckerberg told Fast Company. Taste and smell, we're not worried about that for now. It's amazing to watch these technologies grow, my friends, to think that we have, I mean, I don't have any, I have a lot of friends who are colorblind, but I've watched these beautiful videos of people who are colorblind and they put glasses on for the first time and they see in color and what happens? They cry because they see stuff in brand new ways that they've never seen before or people that have never heard anything and because of what we can do with technology, all of a sudden they can hear again and what happens? They cry because there's something amazing about those senses coming alive but what Zuckerberg is missing is the most important of the senses and that's touch taste, and smell, because those are so human, and there's nothing we can do to get away from those human things, those God-given things that have been given to us. There is no such thing as a synthesized touch, and we all know how important touch is, because, and I've read this, we've all heard this, I'm sure, but if babies are not touched within a certain amount of time of their, of their birth, they die. Because touch is one of the most important things that we have. Anyone else ever feel like that? Like if, if, if someone doesn't touch me right now, I'm going to die. Anyone? I, I, yeah, thank you. They're like another extrovert in the back is like, I just need someone. I mean, my, my poor wife, um, she, you know, I'm like, I just need someone to cuddle with me right now. And it's, she's great because she is, a, and granted, if you're not like that, that's okay. You still need touch. I'm not trying to put everyone needs to be like this. I probably have a problem, and we'll talk about that later. Um, that's what counselors are for, not you. Anyways, Jesus transforms many things as we watch his life throughout the Gospels. But I think the biggest thing that isn't talked about all that much is touch. In the society of his time, sick and sinners were dirty not just spiritual, not just physically, but spiritually. Uh, if you came in contact with one who is sick or sinner, you are then considered sick and sinner. 
And so they had a way of contaminating you. Again, think zombie raccoons. But there are these stories that I've read of lepers and communities where lepers had to wear bells. So that way those without leprosy would know that they were coming so they could steer very, very, very far away from the clean folk. And this was a common courtesy for the lepers to make sure that they were keeping their sickness and their grossness to themselves and their sinfulness to themselves. Have you heard the expression, avoid that person like the plague? And I'm so glad Jesus does not think this way. Ben said last week that belief, last time we gathered, he said belief is, is a verb and that verb is faith. It's an action. And I would say to take it a step further, it's an embodiment. It's something that has to do with touch even. And what I appreciate about this story is that Jesus has redefined what it is to touch and to see. And somehow the belief of these scared, anxious, lonely disciples, skeptical disciples, is eradicated with the touch and with the sight. And what is amazing about it, and I don't know if you guys picked this up, but this blew me away when I was reading this passage this week. Uh, notice this. In verse 48, it says this. Uh, sorry, 41. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. Has anyone ever been blocked from belief by joy and amazement? I, maybe that's like the it's too good to be true moment. I'm not 100% sure. But what Jesus does, and this is, this is something we can now keep for all of eternity. This is truth. Uh, when joy and amazement stands in the way of belief, eat some fish. That seems to just figure out all the stuff that we cannot fully get under our skin. But Jesus' question here is incredible to these scared disciples. He says, do you have anything to eat? Uh, I live with a 14-year-old, and so that is a normal question, uh, but it's more like, we don't have anything to eat. It's more of a statement, and the you know, fridge is packed, and it's an incredible moment. But we hear this question all the time because the truth is, is that humanity, I think there's something deeply spiritual about this comment. Humanity is born hungry. Hunger is the essence of life. In Genesis, God creates man and woman, and he says, uh, make babies and eat food. That's kind of it. Like, make babies, eat food. I mean, there's a lot more that unpacks later. But what's so, is, what's so interesting in this story is that Jesus comes from his resurrected state and he says, what do you have to eat? That should shock us. That's kind of weird. There's a moment when I think um, it's almost like you have everybody leaned in and they're all like, what do you want to do? It's like, let's go to McDonald's. You know, it just doesn't fully make sense. I don't get it. But I think what happens in this moment is that Jesus is still hungry and Jesus' scars are still present. And there's something beautiful about the resurrected Lord being still so human in who he is and having hunger. Because maybe the true picture of what full humanity created in the image of God looks like is that hunger is actually this beautiful thing. And sometimes we get it really messed up. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a God-given thing. And again, I, this, this story really fascinates me because uh, I've never heard anyone say, um, I would like some broiled fish, please. It just doesn't really happen. Not in my house. Maybe some of you are fish people. Um, but I wonder if at times if that was the last amazing miracle 
was Jesus eating broiled fish. Because I think what it does, there's another time when Jesus says, what do you have to eat? And it's when he's standing on a hillside with 5,000 people and they're hungry. And Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, what are you going to feed them? Uh, We have a few loaves and some fish. At the very beginning of the passage that Dennis read this morning, what has Jesus done eating? Bread. What's he eating now? Fish. I wonder if even this moment, Jesus is taking the ordinary things of fish and bread and reminding these disciples that miracles happen in their hands all the time. That there's something so profoundly beautiful about the ordinary things within our life. That the wild-eyed Christ ate with and touched sick and sinful people. And they, were, and they were made whole again in those moments. My friends, this is a huge paradigm shift. The holy does not touch the unholy. And the holy would never eat with the unholy. It's almost as wild as a dead person coming back to life. Because Jesus is into paradigm shifts. And so what is a paradigm shift, some of you may ask? And I think at the simplest level, it's this. It's when your thinking changes so drastically that you begin to see the same old things with completely brand new and different eyes. It's like putting on glasses that help you see in full color. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's amazing. We see this happening in the disciples. This is normally what happens in a paradigm shift. When dead people come back to life, your paradigm is shifted. Like, that's just what's going to happen. And so what happens in that moment is they're afraid, they're scared, they're amazed, they're joy-filled. There's all these different things that are coming because that's what happens when our paradigms shift. When our old way of thinking and our old way of doing life doesn't fully make sense any longer. And so what we have in this moment is we have this beautiful picture of a paradigm shift. And this story that we're in right now is a story about paradigms shifting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest paradigm shift in all of history. There will never be another paradigm shift as great as this until he returns and he sets the world the way it should be, the way it was created and intended to be. But a paradigm shift and the resurrection changes everything. That new life is now possible. That dead things come back to life. Dead relationships become restored. Um, dead ways and dead you know, addictions where we think we're drawing life from become healed and you begin to draw from the right source. I mean, my friends, this is the story that I continue to encounter in the people that are sitting in these chairs of watching dead parts in our life completely come back in ways that we never imagined possible. You know, I've heard poets and, and artists use this phrase like beauty into or ashes, you know, beauty from ashes, that in the broken places, God shows up and he begins to do a brand new work. That's the power of the resurrection. It's when hope floods in, in the places that seem the most hopeless. And I've watched in countless people sitting in this room, and I wish I had the permission to tell all of those stories in the ways that I've seen them but you all know who I'm talking about because you've watched God show up in these ways. And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, boom, everything's good. We still have to have a Sharon perspective as J.R. so wisely says, just because you got baptized doesn't mean there's no problems, right? Amen. Like some of you are like, well, I haven't had one yet. Um, I've had a few. But in those moments, what we see is the beauty of new life. 
when hope floods in, when all things become possible, because the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful because it, it, it shows us that Jesus is more than just a cool teacher who has some really neato ideas. Uh, it means that he's the one, that he's the savior, the redeemer of all Israel, and guess what? It doesn't just stop with Israel, but it extends to the entire world. And we can trust that what he invited us into because he did what he said he was going to do. Dennis and I were having a really incredible conversation about the story. And what's amazing is 40, 50 years ago, we would hear this story and this would be like a proof text for us to make sure when people say, well, how do you know Jesus is real? I would just say, dude, read the Bible. Like it's in there. And we live in a space right now where people are like, well, that just means you're a brainwashed person. But I think what's so beautiful about this particular story is that it's beyond that. The fact that we are still talking about this 2,000 years later means that there's something powerful that happened when Jesus rose from the dead. That these fishermen and tax collectors and people who were on the fringes of society all of a sudden became these people with a message that made sense to a world that was hurting, a lot like ours. And so we look at what Jesus says. He says this, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins we preach in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. Uh, he opens the minds of these disciples. And this story is so great because it hits on all the cylinders. The motions, food, touch, smell, taste, and even the mind and the heart. These disciples received the best seminary education ever, and it cost them a piece of broiled fish. I'm still paying off my seminary debts, but... If it only cost a fish, that would be okay. But here's the trick. Information never equals transformation. Because Jesus doesn't just teach them the perfect Greek and Hebrew. He doesn't fight with them on what this, this thing meant or this thing meant. He stories them. He tells them the story. And there's something powerful about the story in which we find in the scriptures. The story gets it, it gets in them, and it, they are transformed by the fact that that story is now part of who they are. We, we begin to see the doubt leave, the fighting leaves, and they are changed by this love, and the, this love story of a God chasing down the ones who keep running away, the God who rescues and redeems, but doesn't just end there, but then sends them out to a world that needs rescued and redeeming. My friends, this is our story. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is, the, this is the story that all of the world is revolving around. And this is the story that God himself invites us into through the person of Jesus. And I think many of us today need our minds open to the story, to the scriptures, like Jesus opened the disciples' minds to it. Because these scriptures tell the story. And this is why, as a community, we stay in the scriptures. We don't just talk about things that we think would be good to talk about. We want to stay rooted in the story because it's in the story that we begin to, begin to see the nuanced love of Christ all over. And it begs us deeper and deeper. Um, it's, it's like when we have an opportunity to watch a movie a hundred times. You begin to see new things each time you watch it. And it's the same thing with that story. Anyone ever read, uh, for, 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 for any adult, has any adult ever read a children's book post being a child? Has anyone ever been brought to tears by that book? Honestly, raise your hand. Yeah. Why do you think that is? 
And I think that's the way Scripture is supposed to be in our life. It's like we hear it some way when we're a kid, but there are these moments when we hear it again with fresh eyes or maybe in the space where we are, and it begins to transform our thinking, our hearts, our emotions, our actions, and all of those different things. I want to leave us with two more things. Number one is this. Jesus says, uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Repentance is resistance. We live in a world and a culture that just says, whatever you do is good. As long as you're not harming someone else, it's okay. You're okay. You're always okay. But the story of Scripture begins with this, we're all okay, and then mankind makes a really poor decision. And with that, our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation is broken and severed, and we are in a tailspin quickly. And so if we really think about it, a lot of us uh, have, have grown up in this, in this pool of recognizing that everything you do is fine, you're good as you are, there's nothing wrong. But the scripture begins in a different, the scripture begins there, but it doesn't end there. It begins in, in that moment, and then sin enters the picture. And we live in a world that really doesn't like to talk about sin, because that means that we may have done something wrong, and we don't want to live in that way, because that's when the shame and the guilt and all that stuff happens. But Jesus, in his brilliance, realizes that that stuff will always be there until we speak it out and we put it in the right space and we give it to Christ. We release it to him. And then that the power that that thing has, that hidden thing, maybe it's something that's not even hidden, but it's just there and it sucks onto your life. It's not until we seek repentance that that actually is let go. And that's the good news of the gospel, that repentance is resistance. It's a world-shifting moment. Jesus invites people into this brand new life, life free of sin and death. And we don't get there by just pretending like everything's okay. We get there by actually taking off the masks and taking off the things that we feel like are hiding all these other pieces. And we get honest and bare before God. And what we meet is not a God who's angry, but we meet a God who, who brings us in to his arms and wipes away our tears and begins to rename us and reclaim us and renew us in brand new ways. Forgiveness of sin, my friends, is good news. Is good news. So I want to end this time just with the story of two tables, three tables, but two tables. Um, or I could maybe title it When Jesus Crashes My Pity Party. Uh, I'm not really sure. But what I've, what I've noticed in the last month, I've had these two really important times of communion. And one of them was uh, in Nashville. And, and uh, I had the privilege of being invited with a group of friends that I used to work with years ago. And for any of you who've ever had friendships from, from long ago where there was pain and you haven't really spent a lot of time, there's a bit of anxiety that might raise in your soul. You're like, oh man, what's this really going to be like? And, and some of the internal dialogue for me was like, you know, I have to make sure I, I look like I know what I'm doing and, I, you know, all these different things. And so we had a great time. We connected. We talked. And it was, it was healing because I had a chance to, to look certain people in the eye that I haven't seen in a long time and to just see the imprint of Christ all over their life. And uh, the last time we were all together, we sat down and one of my new friends uh, broke bread and passed the juice. And we had this beautiful space of communion together. And what I realized in that moment 
was that God is so good because he takes the broken things of our past or the things that we might think have been broken and he redeems and restores them. And it was powerful. One of the most powerful table experiences I've ever had. Then like uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, we, my, my, my hockey team, Team Sasquatch, follow up. No, we don't even have anything. We're just a bunch of guys that like to play hockey. Um, we, we made it to the championships. I won't, you know, won't give you any like, you know, two minutes left. You know, we're down by three goals. We got smoked the second game, our third game, and we lost it all. But anyways, it was great. Because what happened in that moment is um, we lost a game, and we all walked out in the parking lot, and we gathered around a cooler uh, filled with beer. And one of the things that I appreciated about that moment was that in that moment, I noticed this other table that was beginning to form and that has been forming. And that my fa- our failures were not brought up onto everyone's screen so we can look at it, but there was this beautiful space of recognizing that Christ is present in this. And I'm fortunate. I play, there's, a, there's another guy on our team that loves Jesus and follows Jesus. And so we just, we've been having this beautiful opportunity to just be missionaries, clever disguised, as hockey players hanging out by a cooler of Miller High Life, Mike Ribbon. Um, and um, one of the things that's been so interesting about those, these two tables is they seem so different. What I'm noticing is they're actually really close together. Because Jesus shows up in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our stuff. And he says, what do you have to eat? What do you have to eat? Not just give me a snack so I can be on my way. What do you have to eat? He does it with Zacchaeus. He's accused of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He sits in your homes. He sits in your homes. He sits at the Backyard Beans when uh, most of Renew's over there, uh, usually Monday through Friday. Um, He's at the Greek restaurant. He's at your neighbor's house that you're frustrated with. He's at your boss's house who you're frustrated with? Is that the people that have hurt you? Is that their house? So uh, a friend of mine said this. His name's David Nixon. He said, sacred things are really only ordinary things, but we bring them into the presence of Jesus. That statement is a paradigm shift for me because whether it's a cooler, a beer, or a table right here, these are sacred things because we bring them before the presence of Jesus. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to take communion after we have some time to sing uh, and to respond in, in worship through singing. And so I, I just, I'm going to get up and just kind of do the, the bread and wine, you know, the bread and juice thing really quickly at that time. But I, I just want to call you to the table now. You don't have to come now. We're going to wait. But we come to this table in joined bewilderment that actually might be blinding us from seeing Jesus. We come to this table this morning in sorrow and pain, and that might be blinding us from seeing Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus is known in the seeing and in the touching, and he's known in the tasting. And so I invite you to come to the table in the joy of repentance. Come and taste that the Lord is good, that you were created in love by the God of love for a purpose that is not found outside of anyone else except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is confirmed in the community of saints that are gathered here today. And so when it comes time for us to come to the table, if you're here to receive grace and mercy from Jesus, you're invited. 
Friends, you're invited, and he's here. He's saying, what do you have to eat? Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this wild story uh, of showing up in the pain of life, of causing trouble in our souls, both joy, amazement, bewilderment, maybe fear, but of setting things right. And so Lord, I pray for us, mess with us today. As we come to the table, may we not come to take communion, may we come to receive this beautiful gift of life that's offered to us, abundant life. And so Lord, as we, as we come, may you rework the word repentance for, our, for ourselves, not as this dirty word, but as one that is soaked in joy because it means we get a shot at a brand new life, life with you, life with God, life abundant. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.